so excited. Today is week two, week two of the current series, The Standard. So turn with me in your Bible to Colossians 2. Colossians 2. I started to hear all heaven rejoice. You heard it too? See? All right. The word's about ready to be preached. Heaven rejoices. Last week, I started a message called The Standard. And when God started downloading the message in me, he showed me a picture of this. If you were here last week, what is this called? Well, I'm glad the pastors up in the front row know what it is. Okay. All right. Good. All right. You were awake, right? Okay. Yeah. Plum blah. And I, I started doing some research because when I was in high school uh, in a metal shop, I was able to create one of these for my dad. Of course, you know, in school, in metal shop, they said, here's three projects, pick one. And uh, I picked the most dangerous one because <laughs> I just loved it. Anyway, uh, this big metal lathe, I just loved it and tools and being able to create something out of a square block of steel. Um, but I didn't really know what it was for. And later on, of course, when I gave it to my dad, he explained it to me because he's carpenter by heart and uh, exactly what it did. So when God started downloading this message into me, he took me back to uh, Plumbob. And he says, you know, in order to keep our Christian life true, uh, it can be as simple as using a Plumbob, which means with a Plumbob, if, if you Google Bob Vila, you know, the master carpenter next to Jesus, you know, it, he tells you how to use a plumb bob. And he says you affix the end of the line to that which you want to be true to. True to. And God started showing me that if we take, like this is called the bob, if we take the whole word of God, affix our lives to God and hanging on what does the scripture say in Matthew 5? God says all the law and the prophets hang on what? Love. Love. Love God. Love others. Love God. Love others. Love God. Love others. And the whole law will fulfill the whole law. All the law and the prophets. And we'll always stay true in our Christian walk with God. And that, to me, I know it's probably trivial to some, but to me, that is so powerful. To understand like a plumb bob employs the law of gravity to tell you when something is true. We in our Christian life employ the law of life. We're no longer under the law of sin and death. We're under the law of life. And we affix ourselves to God, taking up the whole word, the whole word, the whole Bible, all the law, New Testament, Old Testament, all the word. Hang it on love. Suspended on love. And we fulfill the whole law. Um, so last week, what we did was we, um, the title of last week's message was Setting the Standard. So we looked at how is it that we set the standard because it's so important that if you don't 
if you don't affix this end properly, this will always be off. And my dad even shared with me a story when he was building houses that at one time, and I'm probably going to butcher the story, so talk to my dad in second service, he'll be here, is that at, when they were setting a wall, they had to fix this, dropped it, true, set the first one. But while they were still working, it had slipped off the nail and onto a splinter. And it hung then crooked. And everything else was off as they continued on. That's the same thing I want to talk to you about today when we move into week two. Was unmasking the enemy because we have to be aware of where we can slip off. <laughs> and we can be deceived. But give me just a second and let me just kind of, for those that weren't here last week, or kind of just get our minds when I talked about setting the standard last week. I talked about um, taking, of course... The whole word. You hear that same thing, don't you? What is it? Do you guys have your phone on back there next to one of the receivers? Disappeared. It was something. Hmm. Sometimes a phone signal can do that, right? You're all like deer in the headlights. I don't know. Anyway. Uh. All right, steps to setting the standard. We talked about being fixed in God. We must be secured in God. We must grab hold of, cleave to the whole word of God. And we must set love as the line that connects between us and the word. That's how we can reach other people with the word. It's not by going over and pounding somebody on the head with the word. It's love. Love reaches out. Love wins. All the law and the prophet. Um, let me just, I'm going to read this to you. It was from last week, but sometimes I think that a very powerful point kind of gets, um, oh, that's nice, and forget about it. Uh, powerful point because I, I believe we constantly have to remind it um, in a family. I mean, hello, how many have more than one child in the home? Or have had more than one child in the home. Have you ever had to remind them that they need to be in unity? That it's not good to be arguing and talking about how you disagree all the time? Okay, same thing with the house of God. We're a family of God. Love, listen, if we're moving in love, love seeks peace and unity. Love seeks peace and unity. If at any time disagreements arise, true love focuses, focuses on unity, which brings peace. The world says, let's all tell everybody and stand for our rights, what we believe and how we disagree with one another. And let's go ahead and wear a billboard and stand on the side of the street and proclaim how we all disagree. Last time I checked, we were the United States of America. United, together. What does it say? United we stand. Divided we fall. Same is true with us. Unity. 
Now, listen carefully. If it's not a heaven or hell issue, let it go. <laughs> like the Frozen song, let it go. No, I'm not going there. Sorry. Just let, if it's not a heaven or hell issue, let it go. Paul even said that. If we, you know, I'm not going to focus on what we don't, you know, what we disagree on. Let's focus on what we do agree on because that brings unity and unity brings peace. If the church is bickering and nitpicking, not moving in unity, what is that showing the world? Come on. He says, they'll know, they'll know I love them by the love you have for each other. Which means if we can't get along with each other and love each other, not put up, not put up with each other. That's no different than the world does. If we can't love each other, love each other and be in unity with each other, then we're telling the world what? God don't love me. All this thing that they're preaching can't be true if they fight with each other. You sit there at your workstation and you complain about the church and all the stuff going wrong and this person at the church does this and that's right. Hey, you want to go to church with me Sunday? What? And you wonder why they said no. And then you come to church and say, would you pray for me? I've been witnessing it at work, but nobody comes to church with me. Sorry, that was a freebie. Um, and I shared with you last week was our anniversary. Wasn't it last week? Seems like a whole year ago. Anyway, um, the longer I'm married, I realize that we do not have to agree on everything to stay married. <laughs> but just because we don't agree on some things does not give me the right to leave him. Do you understand how that can apply in the church? If you are constantly looking for ways that you disagree with someone or a church or a denomination or a fellowship and disagree, and that's why I just need to keep myself, you know, from um, coming in agreement with them, well, then you'll always find things to disagree about. If you're searching the word just to find out how you're right and everybody else is wrong, you always find ways. Is that love? No. Love covers over a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. Which means, to tell you the truth, and I've said this a whole lot recently, because uh, God loves just driving home his point with me before I ever get up here. And I've come across a whole lot of people, church people, who have disagreements with me. Or with what I stand for. Or with the denomination I stand under, which they don't like being called a denomination. We're a, we're a corporate fellowship. As long as we cooperate with each other, we have fellowship with one another. <laughs> if at any time you don't want to cooperate with the fellowship, you don't have to fellowship with us any longer. It's not a denomination where we, you know, beat you over the head, whitewash you and, you know, brainwash you and make you sign this in blood type of legal document. It's a cooperative fellowship. But anyway, a lot of people disagreements with, and I've had to say this thing over and over again. You know what? That's okay. Do you remember what we do agree on? Did Jesus die on the cross? Do we have a great commission? Did he place us at this time in this world for such a time as this? Yeah. And what are we supposed to be doing? Oh yeah, that's right. So we don't need to bicker and disagree. 
and point out who's wrong and who's right or I it just it just don't motivate me anymore because there's something greater we're supposed to be doing right so uh, and then this came to me just uh, not too long ago that like the like the string I mean if we can just get love <laughs> everything else kind of falls into place and I'm not saying get it as in you do it because you can't love I said that last week this properly until with each other properly until you've received love from him properly yeah, completeness you love because he first loved you that's why he said all the law and prophets in Matthew 5 all the law and the prophets hang on these two not one see I've heard Christians say you know what well I have a hard time of loving others but all I have to do is love God and, and that takes care of it mm, did say two <laughs> he did say two all the law and the prophets hang on these two you can't do one without the other properly when we receive our complete love that he has for us remember in the identity series we talked about being hidden in Christ we talked about being the fulfillment of Jesus's prayer in the garden that they may be one as we are one father that I and them they and they and me you and me you know uh, us three you know together and then the Holy Spirit administering all the power that raised Christ from the dead in us and through us you know this is a complete unity so until we receive that complete love he says then the second is as great as the first love others as you love yourself love is the binoculars in which we see people you know but until Jesus walks over and you know that little adjustment right here you know somebody says hey hands you a pair of binoculars look at that bird clear along the other side of that lake sitting on that little wooden you know but perch over there and you're like I don't see it I don't see it and all of a sudden this person takes your head moves you a little bit and adjusts this little thing and then you're like oh I see it right same thing with love we have these pair of binoculars that you know God puts up to us when he says I've made all things new behold you are a new creature, right and he gives us this pair of binoculars and we're like I don't see it how can I love that person I don't see it I don't see it I don't see it and he goes Whomp. move your head right here stay focused cross before you world behind you and let me just adjust this in here do you receive my love do you receive my love do you understand my love for you my love for you boom now oh Dale I love you man whoa how did that happen because we focused in on the love that he has for us and all of a sudden I can look at you and love you as Jesus loves you love as I have loved you forgive as I have forgiven you you understand that's how all the Word of God is fulfilled when we understand that love now we can love as and those disagreements this, those little nitpicky crappy junky off-target pulling you distractions just disappear just doesn't mean anything anymore 
And then I closed last week reminding you that Jesus, like a, uh, Jesus is a standard, like that little sign at the amusement park with the little finger that you, you know, you can't ride the ride unless you're this tall. And Jesus is that standard. We don't compare ourselves. He says you're a fool if you compare yourselves among each other. Because it's like the person who slid down in the pit and you think that you have to crawl down in the pit to save them. And he's like, well, there, now you're both in the pit. You know? Or you get halfway up the side of the pit and you're like, at least I'm not as, you know, lost as that person. Well, you're still in the pit. You know, Jesus says, I'm the standard. And he doesn't just hold out one finger this way. He holds out both arms this way. Until you do this. Until we crucify ourselves. Die to ourselves. We can't become alive again in him. We can't love as him. We can't win other. And I, I use that term lightly. I almost, I almost get sick of hearing win people to Christ like it's a notch in our belt. No, it's reach the lost. We can't reach or rescue the lost, the drowning, if we're still drowning in the pit ourselves because we're comparing ourselves with each other. Well, they're my standard. Well, they're my, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, you know. At least I'm not. This is your standard. Jesus is your standard. And I'm not teaching perfection. I'm removing permission for you to be less than. And that's what we're going to discuss today. Satan goes around and tries to deceive us by wearing these masks and twisting God's word and causing you to doubt so that you can fall below what God has for you. So I'm not trying to preach perfection. I'm trying to remove permission for you to be less than what God has for you. It's kind of like the old saying, you remove the runway and the plane has nowhere to land. That's what I want to do. Okay, so let's jump into Unmasking the Enemy. Again, I've already shared with you um, how Unmasking the Enemy lines up with the series, the standard. It's because throughout your life, throughout your day, and even while you sit here today, under a good pastor's word, you're going to hear thoughts in your mind, in your heart, or maybe even the person sitting beside you whispering in your ear, that are going to ask you questions or what did you think or say things or even a grunt or a moan that causes you to go, hmm. And you need to understand, is that true or is that a lie? Is that a deception? Is that a mask of the enemy or is that true? So in Colossians chapter 2, I had you turn there. Starting at verse 6, I want to read a couple verses here. Yeah. Just 6 through 8. So then. Okay, we can't continue to read so then. I lied. But see, I'm confessing to you. We can't read a so then from there. Why not? <laughs> So then means that he just told you something really important. So then, well, because we know that, we have to go back up to verse 1. Do I need to separate you two? Are you okay? All right. Thank you. Verse 1. 
I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, see how important it was to read those scriptures before? It's called reading in context. We need to get this. We need to get this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. New Living Translation, that verse 8 says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. The Common English Bible translates verse 8 to say, See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than on Christ. Satan's mission since his great fall has been to undermine God, his word, and cause you to doubt and ultimately distrust God, right? Do you agree with that? That's his mission. Started in the garden. Did God really say that? Could you imagine at any other time, and I think I've said that before while preaching, any other time in the garden when they were working and doing things and God says name all the creatures and take care of this and take care of that, that they go, Adam, did God really say that? Well, I don't know. Did he really? No. It entered. Human reasoning entered. Human doubt entered with the snake. The snake in the grass. Satan. He's the one that put that seed of doubt in their mind. Did God really say that? Since then, 1 Peter 5.8, we're warned, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, I've preached this before. Who is the lion of Judah? Jesus. But he prowls around like a lion. Satan prowls around like a lion. He tries to sound like, look like, 
and deceive you into believing that he is the word of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 through 15, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. So Satan wears a plethora of different masks, a whole bunch of different masks. We're going to focus on what I call, or I will call, the top five masks. And it's funny, when I put these together on a Friday, finally put them in order, that they all began with an S, just like Satan. We're going to talk about the mask of self, the mask of sight, the mask of silence, the mask of sitting, and the mask of scripture. There's the top five. And I'm going to try to, we might have to pick this up again after Mother's Day. Um, but we'll jump in and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. So we'll start with the mask of self. The mask of self. The gospel is not about your selfish needs. If you come to Christ for him to meet a need, I'm a, which is true, again, in balance. If you just come to him because you're a dirty, rotten sinner and everything, you feel like you're going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, God, I just need you to. You'll constantly have needs that you feel he's not meeting and you're wondering why your Christian walk is uh, a whole bunch of unmet expectations that you believed Christ was going to fill like, you know, Christmas, you know, Santa Claus. And he's just, you know, you keep unwrapping all these presents, but it's never the one you really want. And, you know, where's God? Because he's not Santa Claus. He came to you out of love. So if you come to him to meet anything else than your love need, you're missing the gospel. He didn't come to the cross because you are a filthy, rotten sinner going to hell. He came because he loved you because you was a sitting, a rotten, you know, sinful creature going to hell. He loves you enough. He don't want to see you go to hell. But love was the reason. Not your sin. Love. You understand? Love. So if you come to God, you have to come to God out of love, love need. Will he meet your need? Yes. If they're love, same thing with a, a parent and a child. It's like if your child only comes to you to meet all their needs, you're going to finally have yourself one spoiled little child if you keep just meeting all their needs. Right? But if they come to you out of love and you give to them out of love, now there's a relationship that's built and a stronger understanding. And do they get their needs met? Yes. But it's rooted in love. The mask of self is idolatry. Simply defined when you've allowed something to matter more than the one who should matter most. You can be your own idol. Do you understand that? That's what I'm talking about, the mask of self. 
You can be your own idol when all you talk about is yourself. I mean, you can be the most humble person in your own eyes that you've ever met. I'm a worm. I'm awful. I'm horrible. You know, I'm low. You know, and I'm rotten. And uh, I'm the least of the least of the least of the least of the least. Paul even said I was, I would, I'm less than all the least of the brothers of mine. But he's also the one that says I am the mystery of God in Christ. I am. Hope and glory is in me. I, I am all things. I have the fullness of God. He understood the balance of humility. But when all we do is talk about, look at me, I'm rotten. Look at me, I'm horrible. Look at me, I'm look at me, look at me, look at me is all we hear you say. And it's false humility. And you've still made yourself your own idol. If you confidently... If you confidently rest in him, everyone else knows it's not about you without you moving around exclaiming how unworthy you are, which just draws people's attention to you. Feelings, also the mask of self, is feelings. We are commanded to move by faith, not feelings. Faith, not feelings. Well, I don't feel moved. I don't feel... I don't feel, well, I feel this way. I feel that way. That's moving by feelings and not by faith. Waiting to pray for someone until you feel anointed. You have been anointed. You have been commissioned. You have been empowered. You do have the name above all names. You don't wait till you feel like you should pray for somebody. If I waited to preach till I felt I was filled to preach or felt good to preach. Well, we'd have a word maybe every few months. But is God trying to teach you to move by your feelings or move by faith? Duh, right? Duh. But how many times do we catch ourselves moving by feelings? What well, would you pray for me? I just feel. Well, what's the truth? That's why people don't call me anymore to pray for me. Pray for them. They just don't. I mean, once in a while, I'll get somebody, will you just pray for me? Why? Well, I just feel, I don't care what you feel. What's the truth? What's the truth? Well, I feel, I don't care what you feel. That's how I talk to myself. Why wouldn't I talk to you the same way? If I'm supposed to love you as I love myself, that's not being harsh. That's not being cruel. That's being honest. Now, there is a brutal honesty that I try not to move in. I want to love as, as Christ loves, right? That's what we're commanded to do. So I'll say it without screaming it and pounding you on the head with the Bible. But I don't want you to be, in, you know, under a lie, under deception. Just because you don't feel like you're worthy doesn't mean you aren't worthy. Feelings are a lie. They're that mask of self because it turns your eyes back on you. Selfish, idolatry, feelings, they're all the mask of self. Remember when we laid down our, I mean, maybe you should go back to the beginning. That's why we still teach MDC 101 and we employ you to please, implore you, please go to 101 New Believers class. Well, I've been a Christian 50 years. Well, maybe you need to go back to the basics. Maybe you need to really understand who you are. And Christ, maybe you've forgotten that you laid down your rights and picked up his righteousness. Maybe you've forgotten that there's the deny myself. Maybe you've forgotten some of the basic principles of, of loving others.
by loving and receiving God's love, maybe you need to go back. I believe we all do. We need to be re-reminded all the time. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Love not your life unto death. Seek first the kingdom. Honor others. Care for others above yourself. The mask of self. The mask of sight. Don't lose sight of who the real enemy is. The word says that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, principalities, right? Right? So don't forget who the real enemy is. It's not the person standing in front of you. Don't lose sight. And don't get looking at all the little distractions of the world. Well, this is off and that's off. Oh, it's too hot in here. Oh, it's too cold in here. Oh, they closed the window. They put blinds on the windows. Now I can't even see outside. Oh, my goodness. Now Pastor Denny's playing games in the sanctuary. Don't lose sight of what matters most. Who the real enemy is. Keep your eyes. If, he can, if Satan can keep you distracted and looking at every other little thing, you'll keep your eyes off him. Don't lose sight of who your real enemy is. The cross before me, the world behind me. Seek first the kingdom. Think about Peter when he stepped out of the boat. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he stood upon the stormy waves. Right? The minute he got his eyes on the waves, he sank. Think about John. John was boiled in oil to the point of dying. And then they're like, oh, crap. What if we kill him? He'll probably come back as a ghost and then really torment us. So let's pull him out right before he dies. And then let's throw him in a cave in the, you know, on this island of Patmos and just leave him there to die. But look at John. He was the one that God gave the greatest revelation to. Known to the world, the greatest revelation came through the man that was boiled in oil. But can you read anywhere in the beginning of Revelations where he went on and on about, Oh, I was boiled in oil. They were all horrible. They've left me here. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. He didn't lose sight of who his real enemy was. He didn't lose sight of the mission. He didn't lose sight of his commandment. He didn't lose sight of Jesus. And he was given the greatest revelation. Don't lose sight. The mask of sight. The mask of silence. The mask of silence. If Satan can keep your mouth shut. I mean, I should have. Well, there's a quote that says. Um, the only thing that you have to do. For evil, and I'm misquoting it, sorry, but I'll summarize it here. For evil to rise greater and greater is for good men to be silent, right? Somebody else knows that quote a lot better, I'm sure. The enemy knows that God gave you the power of life and death in your tongue. He knew that. He knows that. He knows that. So if he can keep your mouth shut or only speaking death, speaking doubt, or not speaking at all, then you can't speak life. So the mask of silence is, shh, don't tell anybody you're going through this. Shh, you, you're misquoting that scripture. Don't say that. Shh, don't, don't speak that. 
Because what happens if you fail later? Then they're all going to point and laugh at you. So don't, don't give that testimony. Shut your mouth. See, he's not afraid of you speaking death or doubt. But he's scared to hell <laughs> about you speaking life. Because it sends him straight back there. We talked about that Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. I mean, sorry guys, I really like Lord of the Rings. I think he did a marvelous illustration of the power of light and darkness, the power of kingdom of God's kingdom and, and Satan's crappy little village. But the, in the king's presence, sitting on his throne, he's powerful, mighty, everybody has to kneel when you come into my presence. That That's the royalty that we hold within ourselves as the ambassadors of Christ. We sit on the throne with Christ at the right hand of God. But the enemy comes in like this. Oh, but did you think about this? Did you think about that? And if we would just sit in our great authority that we've been given and say, get out of here, he has to run. He has to flee. Do you understand that? I've told you that it's like the illustration that there's no big struggle when I walk over to the light switch and I turn on the light. Darkness doesn't say, no, you won't bring light in here. And I'm standing there struggling to turn the light on. No, I flip it on. It comes on. Darkness flees. But as the enemy sneaks into our presence, oh, but did you think about this? Did you think? The minute we start contemplating, thinking on, and listening to, and letting it roll over our minds like toxic venom, we start becoming deflated, and he starts elevating himself. Because he has no authority over us except that that we give him. And then we bow to him. And he elevates himself over us. But it's a masquerade. It's a big lie. And that's why Paul said, don't, don't let people enslave you. Are we called to be free or not? Yeah. We're called. We have been set free. We are the righteousness of God. We are true royalty, forgiven, not enslaved. We're loosed. But the minute that we listen to the enemy's deception, we bow to him and we become enslaved again. The mask of silence tells us, because <laughs> Satan knows, Shut your mouth or just speak doubt. Or don't speak anything. Have you heard the, if you have nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. Right? If you've had good mamas, they've said that to you. Mine came from my daddy. My daddy used to say that all the time. He was a man of very few words, but when he spoke, you kind of went, ooh. And dad used to say, don't say anything. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, let me tell you, as a Christian, you have something good to say. So don't be silent. Say it. Speak it. You speak life. He created the word, the world out of his word. And then he put the same power in our mouths and said, see, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. So Satan wants to silence you. 
It's a mask. You need to turn the devil's lie, his original lie, back on himself. Remember in the garden, he looked at Eve and said, did God really say that? Take it and turn it back on him. So when you have a doubt in your mind and you're wrestling with it, I know I've read that in the word. And Satan goes, oh, did God really say that? You can look back at him and say, God did really say that. Yes. Or when he starts speaking doubts, you know, you're just a worm. You know, you're a sinner. You know, you'll always be a sinner. And you better just praise God that, you know, he saved you by grace. And you just have to, you know, crawl around and, you know, don't try to witness and, and don't do that. You can say, did God really say that? Is that what I've been saved for? Is that what Jesus died for, Satan? Do you really think I believe that? Did God really say that? No. He said, I am. And then you can go through the truth. Speak the truth. It speaks life. I, you know what? If I go on anymore, we'll totally go over because this is where I wanted to camp. Um, Hold on a second. Let me just ask. All right. Um, the next one. Well, this isn't where I wanted to camp, but I'll stop just because. Uh, did you hear Crystal preaching this morning? I love it. Uh, but the next mask is the mask of sitting. The mask of sitting. The mask of sitting is refusing to move or step out until we have all the answers. Have you done that before? Wanting to know the why to everything before anything happens, before you'll take a step of faith. Where's faith in that? There's no faith in that. Wanting to know the why to everything that happens is a stubborn, selfish attitude that proves that you don't trust God. Oh, God, unless you tell me what's going to happen before I lay hands on and pray for this person, I'm not going to lay hands and pray for that person because then, well, well, what? You don't trust God. He told you to just do this, do that. Yeah, but where am I going to go? Abraham set out. For a place which he did not know where he was going to end up. Why? Because he trusted God. He just set out. God said, go. He said, I'm going. He didn't say, where would that be, God? Uh, uh, and then, you know, how am I going to get there, God? And I have no finances, God. How am I supposed to give to a building fund uh, unless you give me? God just said, go. God just said, give. God just said, love. God just said, lift others up over yourself. Well, how am I supposed to do that? What do you got in your hand? Just do. The mask of sitting is refusing to step out, move out. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. That's what the scripture says. It means that just like Crystal preached, it's in an offensive move. The gates, which are a set place, 
will not prevail. I mean, it's almost foolish to think that those gates have little feet on it and they're running towards you. Gates are a set position over a stronghold, right? The gates cannot stay standing as you move in offense against them. They topple. But it's an offensive action. It's an offensive move. Not I'm being offensive to you, but like defense, offense, okay? It's offense. It's on the run. It's not, God, there's gates there and there's a stronghold there. God, what am I to do? He's already told you what to do. Run up against them. Push them over. They can't stand against you. The mask of sitting. If we sit down in the middle of an attack and stop advancing, we have made camp in the enemy's territory, and then we wonder why we're coming under so much attack. Because you're sitting where you're not supposed to be sitting. Get up! I just said that to somebody the other day who's undergoing a lot of pressure right now. And they're, you know, they're like, I'm under attack, I'm under attack. And, you know, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm loving in those situations. But again, speaking truth is let's see, you've been pushing back the enemy in this area and that area and that area of your life, which means where are you? You're in enemy territory. You're taking back. We just sung that, the first song. Taking back what the enemy has stolen and put up a stronghold around and put up these great big gates and you're pressing in, you're pressing in and you, all of a sudden if you sit down right there, what's going to happen? Could you imagine? Who's, who's been in the military here? Nobody? Okay, let me just explain to you then. Yeah, military. You understand that in an offensive move of an army, that they don't get into the enemy's territory and then set down, build a campfire, and kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. Would you pray for me? I'm feeling attacked. Because you're sitting down in the enemy's territory. Get up. Keep advancing. Those gates can't stand against you. But you have to keep advancing. The mask of sitting. And I know we quote the scripture, stand, right? Well, the Lord says stand. Stand when you've done everything else and stand. So it's not in your strength. It's not in your power. As a matter of fact, Psalm says, now I'm really jumping ahead here. And then I'm going to stop. Crystal, again, your fault. If you would have came up here 10 minutes ago, we would have been done. <laughs> I'm talking about a stand because when you're in when you're in the battle and you're moving in offense and you're getting up against Satan and he's trying to press back on you in Psalms God said I've given you my shield of victory and we can take his big shield and set it down and the enemy has to run he sees that emblem marked by that blood and he's like, I'm out of here. That's what it's talking about, standing. When you stand, you're standing in his strength, his might. And there is at times when you're pressing in, 
where he'll say, stop and watch me. But that's not a standing or a sitting down and cowering because you're feeling the oppression of the enemy. No, that's a standing in victory. See, there's a big difference. The mask of sitting says you're feeling a little pressure. You must not be doing right. You need to sit down. I mean, a very wise teenager told uh, one of our leaders, and I'll leave his name out of it because I don't want to embarrass him. Why is it that the church says if you're not feeling opposition or attacks of the enemy, you must not be doing anything for God? But the minute that we are doing something for God and we get attacked by the enemy, the church then puts it back on you. Well, you must be doing something wrong. Wait a minute. Let's say that again. We preach. If you're not feeling any resistance, you must not be doing anything for God. If you're not feeling any resistance from the enemy, you must not be doing anything from God. But the minute you start doing something from God and you get that resistance, the church points the finger back at you and says, Oh, sister, you must be doing something wrong. Come on. It's one or the other. What one is it? So when somebody that we know is a good person, good nature, good heart, loving the Lord, sold out, I'm going forward, and they start getting the arrows of the enemy shot into them, we don't, that's not a time for us to then start pointing at every arrow in them and saying, oh, that was probably because of this, and that was probably because of that, and you're getting this because of that. That's not the time to do that. It's a time of ripping those sticking arrows out of them, grabbing them up by the arm and saying, I'm running with you. I don't need to know why. I don't need to sit here and analyze the arrows. I'm going to take you by the arm and we're running together. The mask, the mask of Satan. We're talked about the mask of self. We talked about the mask of silence. We talked about the mask of sight. And we talked about the mask of sitting. But two weeks from now, next week is Mother's Day, right? Two weeks? Oh, I get next week too? Oh, good. We're going to finish this up next week then. And then we'll pick up. There is a there is a final week um, in this message. And I, I can't even think because I'm just like so empowered right now with what we're talking about. But there will be a, another week after Mother's Day. But we'll finish this up next week. Oh, good. I feel so much better now. So I thought, how are they going to remember all this stuff in two weeks? And the mask is setting. And then next week. So next week, we're going to hit it hard because that's a big one. Is the mask of scripture. You will have to understand that Satan will use scripture. He used it on Jesus. Right? He knows the word. It, if you are, are thinking that, well, I can just quote the word at him and, you know, he knows the word. He quoted the word at the Son of God. And just a side note, and it's a personal opinion, because some people preach that Satan didn't know who Jesus was. I don't believe that. Not for a minute. He was in heaven. Jesus always was. 
word at the word. <laughs> In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He quoted the word at the word. And you don't think he's going to quote the word at you? Next week we'll talk about that. So I want us to just, could you stand? I am really wrapping up. I'm going to stop my timer here just because it's yelling at me. I want us to just think about the whole idea of this series that we're going through, this plumb bob to keep us true, is understanding that we have to first be fixed in God, secured in God. We have to take up the whole word of God, which is the Bob. And everything hangs on love. Everything hangs on loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others as myself to fulfill the whole word of God. Then in order to... Oh my God. In order to see the, the enemy and the deception in these masks quickly is to be seated in Christ from that position where you're supposed to remain. You'll easily pick these up and go, there you are, there you are, there you are. No, that won't work. That trick, that's a lie. No, it isn't. Yes, God did say that. where I want to end today. I need us. I need us. God needs us. God needs us to understand his love that he has for us. We need to be in that place of sitting with him, hidden in Christ at the right hand of God. That revelation came to me while I was praying before service. Have you heard in the business world that so-and-so is my right-hand man? What do you do when you hear so-and-so is my right-hand man? That man has just as much authority as the man, right? Where do we sit? At the right hand of God. We are God's right hand. We are his right hand. And for us to be able to love others as Christ loves, forgive others as Christ, to fulfill the great commission, to be holy as he is holy, to fulfill all this word, all the commands, is to first understand and be hidden in that love that he has for us. So I want to open up the altars. And again, if you have come in here with anything, anything, any sickness, any ailment, any, any misunderstanding, any dissatisfaction even in, in, your, in your soul of any kind, trouble of any kind, spirit, soul, you know, flat, whatever. We want to pray for you. And it says you need to call out, call out to the elders, pray for one another. Do you understand? We need to pray for one another. We need to lock arms. We don't need to point fingers at and try to analyze, like I was saying, every attack of the enemy on you. So let's come up front. Let's just soak in God's love. And I want you to let go of everything else. Please understand that. Let go of anything else. If the enemy has enslaved you, 
into thinking you're less than what you read about. It's a lie and you need to come in here and soak. Allow God to just pray 